Now, uh, we have uh, some special guests tonight. Uh, for those watching online, we're going to go over to a slide so you won't see video for a moment. This is for uh, this missionary couple's safety and the future work they're going to do. So it, it, you'll still hear the audio, but there just won't be video for a few moments. You'll just see the slide. So with that said, I'm going to call them by code names. And the reason I'm calling them by code names is that's just to protect where they're going. You can talk to them and get their real names uh, and learn a little bit about them more after the service. They have a table set up in the back. So with that said, I want to welcome up Aquila and Priscilla to up to the front here. Um, all right, so I, I am uh, very, very excited that our church is going to be partnering with the work that you both will be doing. Uh, I met uh, Priscilla at the Calvary Chapel uh, Pastors Conference in September out at Golden Springs. And uh, she, uh, I, was, I think I was speaking to somebody about missions and you overheard or, I, I don't know, yeah, how did that happen? My, Do you remember? My ear was like, ding. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And so, so we kind of connected, and I said, I said, well, here's my card, call. And uh, then uh, she kind of pursued after and talked to our mission board. Our mission board uh, met with them, and, and she shared the vision. So tell us about uh, your calling. And, again, we're going to be a little vague because of the audio. But uh, tell us, uh, you guys just got married in October. Yes, so, correct. Yeah. And you just finished a, well, uh, you've been, uh, Priscilla, you've been with uh, Calvary Chapel Saving Grace intern missions intern program for three years, and, and Aquila, you've been with it for two years, yeah. and through that process, God has put a calling on you to go where? And, or you can be vague, it's fine. Yeah, so we'd be going to the Middle East. Um, yeah, it's, a, it is, it's an area where it's just a huge area of influx of other countries coming in as well, so um, as we learn language and everything like that, we will be able to minister not to just that one nation people group, but to many uh, in this area. Okay, and so you, you're, when you first get there, because you guys are actually leaving April 13th, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, uh, and when you first get there, what do you do? Do you just start a church right away? What happens? Yeah, so the first thing, the first slide I just mentioned is learning language. So we want to be able to integrate with the culture and be able to speak to them um, and understand their idioms and all that stuff so that we can really understand how to communicate with them and really effectively communicate the gospel within that culture and people group as well. Okay, so you've got a couple years to go for mm -hmm. language yeah. so that you can effectively communicate the gospel. And long-term goals, uh, what are some of the long-term goals that God's put on your heart? So our long-term, we, we're looking to start a church and eventually start a Bible college for national believers so that, again, we can learn the language and the local dialect. But, the, again, this is a country full of different uh, speakers of, you know, of this native language and surrounding dialects so they can go back to their own people and reach even further than we can just alone. So, yeah, we'd just be dipping in, but they'd be going out. And uh, I had just learned about a particular sect of Islam uh, while I was in Israel. I'd never heard about them. And then we were meeting, having lunch, and you said you grew up actually with people from this, this uh, sect, which is a little bit strange, of Islam. And God had really put on your heart, and it turns out this country you're going to has that group in, in it. Uh, you want to share a little bit about that? 
Yeah, so this particular group of people um, are kind of outcasts even within the Islam community. They have some weird beliefs they've taken from a lot of different sources. And, um, yeah, they believe in reincarnation and different things. Uh, but they're outcasts even among the Islam people. And they've kind of stayed in one like a few different regions and between a few different countries, including Israel. Um, and right in the middle of where we are, there's going to be a, a, a group of them there as well. And, and God has just prepared you for understanding them by having you raised with, with, with this, uh, that, that group uh, as, as you would family friends, correct? Yeah, so they're very closed off. So it was a rare opportunity for even someone on the outside to be even exposed to what they believe. Yeah. So um, any fears or things that we need to be praying for for you both? I'm going to hand it over to Priscilla. <laughs> yeah, um, I think one of the prayers that we um, usually communicate with people is just having um, wisdom and discernment on who we talk to. Um, a lot of the times there are people um, from that country that pose as like secret police or like religious police. So they kind of want to like sniff out, you know, the workers there and like, are you really here for tourism or something else? So just praying for discernment on like, when to speak, when not to speak, how much to share, not even just like the gospel, but personal information, because it, it can get into the, the wrong ears. Um, so just be praying for discernment on that. And also, um, as a woman, uh, it's very different for me to live in a, a Muslim country. So just praying on um, really for us to be learners, because I, you know, it's very interesting. I Here I grew up, and I shake a man's hand. I look at them. I can talk to people. But over there, it flips. I can't shake a man's hand. I really can't even look him in the eye. So it's very, very different. And so just for us to, to be learners and to have discernment on that, um, yeah, so it's going to be challenging in the sense of stripping away all, our, all of our Americanness. We call it like uprooting and then being replanted to a completely new, different culture. So just pray for the transition of that. Yeah, we will. And uh, now, as far as your support goes, uh, you guys have raised 40% of your support. You're still a little bit low on your support. Now, normally Saving Grace World Missions, uh, who, by the way, Saving Grace World Missions, we also uh, share some missionaries through Saving Grace World Missions uh, in India. But uh, normally they won't let you go until you have 80% uh, support. Mm -hmm. But you guys have been saving your pennies, and you have six months ready to live on. And you, uh, the language school is getting ready to start, so you guys are just going in faith that this is going to happen uh, and praying that God will, will provide the rest of that support. Uh, and so, and, and I'll tell you this, that, that it is clear that God has called you. In fact, that was one of the questions I asked you earlier is what makes you qualified yeah. uh, to go do this ministry? Yeah, we're... We're just as qualified as anybody else. We're just a Christian that wants to share the gospel with uh, with any open ears. And just like you guys, you guys have people that you can speak to. But the Lord has called us to this region and these people. Um, but we're, we're no more qualified than the person sitting next to you or even you. <laughs> that, uh, yeah. And, and, you know, in speaking with you guys, you're... That, that burden on your heart for the lost in the Arabic world is very clear. It's very strong that God's put that there. 
And uh, we're going to be praying for you. And I, I really hope that you will partner with them in prayer. You can sign up for their newsletter. But also, if you would like to pray about uh, giving an offering toward their support, uh, we will have, uh, you can put uh, just on like a memo portion of the check, you can just put uh, Middle East and we'll know what that's going to go to. But pray about that. Don't do it under compulsion. Let the Lord lead you in that. And then also online, we have under our missions subheading, there's Aquila, Priscilla, Middle East, and that's speaking about them. And so you can support. I, I tell you that I'm so privileged that our church gets to be a part of this, that we get to, to uh, be a part of sending you out and supporting you. It's a real honor and privilege, and I'm excited to see what God's going to do with you. I, I know it's going to be, there's a lot of trials ahead. There will be tears, but there will also be a lot of fruit and rejoicing. Um, and so we're, we're excited to see what God does through this time. Um, I want to also invite up, before we pray for Aquila and Priscilla, I want to also invite up Benny because we are also sending Benny off tomorrow. We are kicking him. We are, we are kicking Benny out of the country, right? Is that what it is? So uh, uh, Benny is heading to Cross to Light with Brian McDaniels down in Haiti. And uh, he, uh, Brian McDaniels has a school of ministry for pastoral leadership uh, down there. I, I've actually got, I got to go down there and teach, I think it was in 20, I don't know, a long time ago. Anyway, uh, but, uh, but uh, you're going to be working uh, possibly for a month or longer. Yeah. We'll see what that takes you. Uh, so we want to pray for Benny. As he's gone, we will miss you. Uh, and then we'll look forward to hearing uh, good things when you come back. But uh, so with that said, let's go ahead and pray for, for these two, uh, or these three, I should say. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for just being, using us, God, involving us in your wonderful plan of redemption. Lord, what an honor it is to, to, to not only be, be called out by you and given salvation, but Lord, then on top of that, to be used as ambassadors and ministers to, as you reconcile a lost world to yourself. And so we're privileged, Lord, to be a part of this. We're privileged to to send these three. And Lord, I pray for Aquila and Priscilla, Lord God, that you would provide for their needs as they step out in faith, Lord. We know that um, faith is an investment in you, that Lord, you return in great dividends and fruit. And so we look forward to the fruit that you'll produce through them, that it will be pleasing and honoring to you, that Lord, there will be a wonderful offering of the nations that comes forth. Uh, through knowledge and understanding of your gospel. And so, Lord, we pray that you might bless them in their language school, that you might provide for them financially. Lord, that uh, you might bless the relationships that they build. It's uh, very clear, God, you've called them. And so, Lord, we look forward to seeing how you're going to provide for them. And we pray also that you comfort uh, their parents as the parents say goodbye. Lord, that it may, might be a wonderful also testimony to them. Uh, of your calling and your goodness. So we pray that your provision come upon all these things. And also for Benny, Lord, protect him as he goes as well. Uh, Lord, we pray that uh, as he's down there in Haiti, Lord, that you'd use him mightily, Lord, that he might be fresh fresh wind, Lord, and fresh fire unto that school down there, Lord, that uh, it might really truly be a gift from you as he ministers to, to those uh, with cross to light. And protect him, keep him safe, protect his health. And uh, we just give you all the thanks and praise. We're so grateful, Lord, that we get to send. 
And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's go ahead and pray, and then we will open up God's Word and uh, finish up the book of Romans tonight. This is pretty exciting. Uh, we're finishing Romans, so uh, let me go ahead and open in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this time in your Word, and we thank you, Lord, just for bringing us together again this week. Lord, uh, what a beautiful thing it is to worship together and honor you, to Lord, that you bring us all into this fellowship, that we might bring glory to you, that we might encourage each other. Uh, what a wonderful and mysterious um, place this church is, Lord, your church. And we're privileged to be a part of it. And so, Lord God, we ask now that as we study your word, that you might give us understanding, Lord, that we might uh, be convicted and repent, Lord, that we might be challenged and, and, and encouraged. Lord, if those, there are those in this room that are struggling tonight, I pray that they would just leave so encouraged that, that, that your word, that you haven't forgotten them. So we ask, Holy Spirit, that you speak to us, our hearts directly, and give us understanding that we might be faithful and bring glory to you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're in Romans chapter 16. Now, I want to say this about Romans 16. Uh, this is a different kind of chapter than what we've been dealing with uh, most of the book of Romans. And uh, we're going to have a lot of names in this chapter. Now, I love this chapter. Uh, now, I, And I know some people are like, because I'm a history guy and I love history. And they're like, uh-oh. You know, and we're not going to do so much history, but what I love about this chapter is it really shows that the scriptures, the word of God were written through the course of real human life and real human history. And, and these names are a testimony to that. It wasn't, these aren't fables. These aren't things made up. These are actual events and people. And I think we can identify with them uh, more than we know, even though they lived so long ago. I, I think that based on their, their uh, because they were written in real human events, we can certainly learn from them and identify with them. So uh, with that said, let's get into chapter 16, verse 1. And we're going to read through verse 2. I commend to you Phoebe, our sister who is a servant of the church in Sincrea, that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever business she has need of you. For indeed, she has been a helper of many and of myself also. Now, Sincrea is a seaport about seven miles east of Corinth. And uh, we know that Paul wrote this letter from Corinth right before heading off to Jerusalem where he would be arrested. And so as he's giving these closing things, he commends Phoebe. Now, here's the important thing. You know, there is a lot of misunderstanding about women and the Bible and women's place in the church. But I want to say this. I, I think a lot of it is because we are on this crazy pendulum always of women can, women can't, where do men. And I remember being in a, a college communications class, and uh, we got to do a, an I believe speech. So I chose to share my, my testimony uh, that I believed in Jesus Christ. And as a result of that, it ended in this, like, discussion and this interaction with everybody in the class and one of the things that was brought up to me was like, well, I would believe the Bible except for how it puts women down. And uh, this person had no concept or clue what the Bible actually says about women. And I want to call your attention to this dear sister in the faith, Phoebe. In fact, I can't wait to meet Phoebe. Just because this little mention of her. 
First of all, it tells us that Phoebe, who is a servant of the church. Now, servant is actually, uh, the word is, it comes from the, word, the, the Greek word diakonos, and, but it's in the feminine form. And we get our word deacon from it. Remember Philip, or sorry, Stephen was a deacon in the church and uh, in Acts chapter 7. And so we get our word deacon from this. Uh, is someone who's elected to serve others for, on behalf of the church. And we see that Phoebe here takes on the, the term deaconess. She's, she's a servant of the church in Sincrea. Not only that, but we see that Paul actually entrusts to her what I believe, the letter of Romans, for her to deliver it to the Roman people. And so as he sends her, he says, Hey, receive her in the Lord in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints. I, she is my uh, emissary. I'm sending her to you with this letter. Receive her when she gets there. And notice what it says. And and in whatever business she has in need of you, for indeed she has been a helper of many and of myself also. Now it doesn't mean she was a pastor of the church. That's not what it's saying. It's it's not saying she was in charge. She was just a beautiful, wonderful servant in the church. And, uh, and so as far as a women's place in church, yes, there you go. <laughs> yes, women and men, because all of us are image bearers of God, we all have a place to serve in the fellowship of God. And so when people try to twist these ideas that, oh, women are put down in the church or they made less than uh, that is not true at all. We see women serving in the church, and we're going to see more women in this list coming up tonight. So uh, don't, don't buy into that. By the way, <clears throat> there's, there's still yet uh, an, uh, more to, to be named, but I do want to draw your attention to, to, or to verse 3 because we see greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their own necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also of the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Now, we, we don't know all the details about what Paul is referring to because the Holy Spirit clearly did not want give us that information. But what, again, we see is greet Priscilla and Aquila. And, and by the way, every time Priscilla and Aquila are mentioned... It's mentioned in that order. Now, I don't think that we're supposed to read into this that there's a prioritizing happening here. But again, I just want to reemphasize in a culture that has swung so crazy uh, to one direction about women's place and do women have a place in the church and all these things. In in the early church, yes, women had a place just like men. They obviously shared different roles in the church. But none of it had to do with an issue of equality. It just had to do with how God was working through his people. And, uh, and it's a really beautiful thing when it does it. The problem is when we let the culture uh, try to dictate to the church how we should be. That's where we need to reject that and say, no, no, we're just going to do it the way God says. So we see, read about the Priscilla and Aquila. Now, Priscilla and Aquila first show up in Acts chapter 18. Under the emperor Claudius, Claudius expelled a whole bunch of Jews from Rome, and a persecution had broken out. And, uh, and so he had just removed a whole bunch of Jews, and, which I believe is probably how Paul knows a lot of these individuals, because we know that he had not yet been to Rome. And so uh, this very 
possibly could be that during that ex, that the expelling of Jews that he had met these different individuals. But in Acts chapter 18, verses 1 through 3, and I'm sorry, I forgot to give that to you, Miji. Uh, Acts 18, 1 through 3, we read, After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome. And he came to them. So because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for by occupation they were tent makers. And so one of the things we learn about uh, Aquila and Priscilla is, uh, is that they worked with Paul, that, that they shared the same trade and they were tent makers. Uh, and they were, that's how Paul supported himself on the mission field. And he joined up with these two. And we, we see that they become invaluable to Paul in Ephesus and into the, in, in his partnership in the gospel. They're continually serving with him. In fact, later on in verse 18 of chapter 18, we, we read that, So Paul still remained a good while. Then he took leave of the brethren and sailed for Syria. Oh, I'm sorry, 1818. I'm going to have to go slower here with my references. Um, he sailed for, do you got that, Acts 1818? Um, so Paul, well, you guys can open your Bibles, so that works too. Uh, so Paul still remained a good while. Then he took leave of the brethren and sailed for Syria. And Priscilla and Aquila were with him. He had his hair cut off at Sincrea, for he had taken a vow. And so he also went to the barber. Uh, we get that little bit of information. Now, I, I know part of this is like, why do we need to know all these names? Why do we need to know that Paul took a vow and cut his hair off? More than anything, I, I think that this is a testimony to these real events in, in life. And you and I might, might uh, have a letter, if we were to write a letter today about what God is doing in ministry, we might acknowledge certain people. Uh, of course, it would be an, an email. And we might also just share these little details. And of course, uh, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, we get these details. So, so Aquila and Priscilla worked with Priscilla and Aquila worked with Paul, and Paul says, uh, "To whom not only I give thanks, but also the church of the Gent- oh sorry, who risked their own necks for my life." Um, and so we can see what an important thing. Now, verse five of of chapter sixteen says, "Likewise, greet the church that is in their house," and uh, this gives us some insight into the early church where they met. Now, they didn't only meet in houses, but a lot of the ch- early church met in ho- houses uh, because they didn't have halls. We know in Ephesus they actually met in a, the school of Tyrannus, which would have been a bigger hall. But, uh, but they also met in homes, in houses. Now, it doesn't mean that homes are better than buildings. Uh, they just didn't have quite the access that we have today uh, to, to buildings and so on to come together and meet. But uh, that was a lot of how the early church met. And so we can always kind of think about that when we're reading about church and how it operates and things like that. Think of it in, in the homes. And so Priscilla and Aquila weren't just ministers along with Paul, but they were actually church planners in a way. They ho- or at least they hosted the church in their house. All right. Verse 5. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Greet my beloved uh, Eponidas who is the first fruits of Achaia to Christ. Greet Mary, who labored much for us. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my countrymen, and my fellow prisoners who are, not, uh, who are of note among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. 
And uh, I want to call your attention to Andronicus and Junia. Now, Junia is a, a little bit tough. This could be a married couple, but we're not sure yet because the word, the, the name Junia could be either masculine or feminine. So we're not totally sure, but it seems like this is a couple, again, a married couple doing ministry together. And how wonderful it is for married couples to do ministry together. I I remember when Laura and I were, uh, we were serious about getting married, and I, I know I've shared this before, but when I, I really received that call on my life to go into ministry, my old former youth pastor, who was a mentor of mine, said, hey, you need to talk to your wife and she need, or your, your girlfriend and see if she really wants to do this as well, if she's called. And so I remember having this conversation with her, and we, we just went and saw the Jesus Revolution last night, and I was laughing because uh, there's a scene where Greg Laurie tells Kathy that, hey, if you get in the way of Jesus, you're out of here, right? And, and I remember saying things like that to my wife, you know. <laughs> it didn't come out very well. But, but, but I did say to her, I said, listen, I'm called into ministry, and either you're called or we need to break up. Didn't go over well. Uh, but it was good that I did that because Laura actually, I, I said, hey, you got to pray about this. And, and I'll tell you, I, I mean, for me, I, I was in love with her. I was ready to marry her. But this was really important. And I look back and go, I'm so thankful that I was given that instruction. And she was challenged to pray about that too because it's made all the difference as we've ministered together over the years. Obviously, she's She's not a, uh, a, a full, she's not on staff or anything here at the church, but the way she supports me in ministry and supports me in the home, and I've always said that, you know, being a pastor, you have, you have this mistress called the church all the time that needs you, um, and uh, people need you, they call you out and stuff, but I see that her calling is clear just as well in the way that she is in support of that and praying for you all as well, and so... So it's so important, and what a blessing it is to do ministry together uh, as a married couple. And so I, I w- I'd encourage you, if you have a call for ministry as a couple, do it together. Be blessed. Find ministries that you can do together and, and enjoy, enjoy uh, ministering to others. So uh, he says, my countrymen, my fellow prisoners who are uh, of note among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me, and I just love that because Paul is saying that, Hey, they were Christian, they, they were born again before I was, and, and I'm recognizing them. Then verse 8 says, greet Amplius, my beloved in the Lord, greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and Stachys, my beloved, greet Apelles, approved in Christ, greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus, greet Herodian, my countrymen, greet those who are of the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Now, again, as we get into these names of people, here's actually something that you don't often think about in as far as an apologetic goes with Scripture. Anybody ever ask you, how do you know the Bible's true? Anybody ever ask that? Uh, you know, or, uh, you know, can we trust the Bible? Well, I'll tell you, bring name lists to them. Say, here's how we know. What are you talking about? Well, there, there's actually something to be said that these names were actually in use at the time of the writing of the Bible. That's an important thing, to, to know that these names were actually names being used. Same with in the Gospels. You know how there's a lot of Marys? Turns out Mary was one of the most popular names in the first century to name women. 
And, and that, that in itself is an apologetic. Hey, by the way, can you guys turn down the AC? I think people are cold. I don't know. Are you guys cold? Oh, you're good. Okay, don't turn down the AC. Sorry. Sorry. I, I, I thought I saw. Okay. Um, you're like, don't do it. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> Praise God we, we have churches today with AC. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so, so these names actually are, are one of those things. And by the way, in this list, a lot of these names are names uh, that would have been names of freed slaves, freed men. And uh, so it's another interesting thing of who the makeup of the church, the early church is. And so, uh, so Paul says, uh, greet Apellus approved in Christ. Greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus. Now, this is interesting. And, and you're going to see another greeting to a household. It doesn't say greet Aristobulus. It says greet those of the household of Aristobulus. Now, the, the first question you might ask is, well, wait a minute. How come Aristobulus isn't getting greeted? Does he need to know Jesus? Let's get on this train here. Let's, let's get him to know. But it actually could be that Aristobulus is dead at this point in time. There is, uh, there's actually some good uh, theory that Aristobulus, the, the one mentioned here, is the brother of King Herod Agrippa I, the one who ruled Palestine under the Romans from A.D. 41 to A.D. 44. And of course, his death is described graphically in Acts chapter 12, 19. You guys know the death, right? The one who burst out with worms. Good, good death there in, in the Bible. Uh, but, but this could be, Aristobulus could have been his brother. You see, Aristobulus went with Agrippa as a hostage to Rome, and he died there in AD 48 or 49. But servants in his household may still have been identified with him because that's where they were. So it's very possible that, that when it says greet those of the household of Aristobulus, that's who it's speaking of, that the gospel actually reached into them. And we'll see some other people that the gospel has reached. And I, actually, one of the things I love about this chapter is you have people, we're, we're going to see that you have uh, low people and high people, freed slaves and treasurers of cities uh, in this list of people. And, and where other place in the world do you have such a group of people coming from all walks of life, all sitting together and all worshiping God? It's the church. That's one of the beautiful things of the church. In the church, you'll see in the parking lot, you'll see an Audi next to, next to a beat-up Suburban, right? Or in a Ford F-150 with uh, Texas pinstripes that I have in my truck. Uh, all the scratches. You know, you'll see these things in the church and how beautiful it is that this isn't a, a, a country club for the elite. This isn't, this isn't um, a club for only the poor. This is for everyone. This is Christ and, and his body, his church. And that's a beautiful thing about the church. And so we read uh, to also greet Narcissus uh, here in verse uh, 11 who, who are in the Lord. And Narcissus, by the way, was a well-known freedman who served the emperor Claudius and who committed, he, he actually, it, it, supposedly in history, he was forced to commit suicide just before Paul wrote Romans. Now, I, I, I don't know that it's the same narcissist there, but that name is a popular name. So certainly uh, that doesn't seem like uh, the, the Christian thing. And also if he would have done it before Paul wrote Romans, it doesn't make sense. But the, 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 what I wanted to point out to you is that Narcissus was a name who served under the emperor Claudius. 
All right, verse 12. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, who have labored in the Lord. I, I, it's interesting, their name similarities. I, I can't help but wonder about them. Greet the beloved Perses, who labored much in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother and mine. Now, isn't this interesting? Verse 12 says, Tryphena and Tryphosis, who labored in the Lord. What do you think it means to labor in the Lord? Well, it's to serve him, to serve his church, to minister to others. Uh, the, the, these people, when they met Christ, were transformed by him and ended up ministering to others. Laboring in the Lord is everything from sh- shoveling snow off roofs to preparing the communion elements for the body. It, it, it's, it's all these things, the way the church runs to minister and show love and and, and uphold the body. And so, so we read that Tryphena and Tryphosa, they labored in the Lord. But then we read about Perses who labored much in the Lord. <laughs> wow. You know, isn't that the way the church is? We have those who labor in the Lord and those who labor much in the Lord. Is one better than the other? No. It's just who, who God has called us to be and how we serve in the church. I think one of the great mistakes is when we start to put on people, standards, my standard. Well, they should be doing more, you know. If they were really spiritual, they would give more time or they would work harder or labor more in the Lord. Oh, forget that. Don't let anyone compel you to do something. You do what the Lord puts on your heart. Now, obviously, in the church, God has gifted you. He's brought you into the fellowship He's done so that you might serve the fellowship. And if you're being selfish, that's between you and the Lord. But you should serve the fellowship. And how you serve could be through a lot of different ways. It could be through prayer. It could be through financial giving to others and serving. It could be through actually making a Wednesday night meal, prepping the communion elements. Lots of different ways that God could use you to serve. And some of you will labor and some of you will labor much. But this is his church. And the sad thing. one of the sad stories, I mean, obviously we learned a lot from it, but that story of Mary and Martha, when Martha had invited Jesus to come to her home for dinner. You remember what happened. We read that Martha was consumed with much serving, and Mary sat at the feet of Jesus and listened to his teaching. Then we read that Martha came to Jesus and said, Lord, don't you care? That my sister has left me all alone to serve? Tell her to come, get up and help me. See, that always creeps into the church. I'm, ser- I'm going to serve God with joy. I'm going to invite him over for dinner. I'm going I'm to bless God and I'm, I'm going to serve the church. But now I'm, I'm so, I'm so uh, under the pressure of the serving that I start to judge everyone around me. Lord, don't you care? I, I love the fact that, that Martha says, Lord, don't you care? Now tell her. Like, wait, who's Lord here in this situation? Martha? Do we forget who that is? And, and, and Jesus responded to Martha, Martha, you are anxious and worried or distracted by many things. But one thing is necessary. Uh, and, and Mary has chosen the good portion and it will not be taken from her. 
And what a lesson that was for not only the disciples, but also Martha and Mary, that there is a good portion. Now, it wasn't wrong that Martha was serving. Certainly, she invited everybody to dinner. That was good. But isn't it sad that the joy of serving, serving and laboring in the Lord was robbed from her as she looked at everybody else and looked at her sister and said, well, I can't believe she's abandoned me as she, she approached serving uh, that way. And we don't ever want to allow that to happen in the church where, where we start to serve and under that pressure we start judging everybody else. I, I think a, a, a good, healthy view of serving in the church especially if God has called you to serve in a ministry, just praise God for everybody who comes in and helps. Praise God for everybody who doesn't help. You just praise God and let the Lord provide. That is the key. You let the Lord provide. And if you're striving and striving, maybe it's time not for you to do that. Um, it, it, but but don't let, let that rob you of the joy of serving. And so we, we read that uh, Tryphena Tryphosa labored in the Lord. Percy's labored much in the Lord. Now, I want to bring your attention to verse 13. Look at verse 13. <clears throat> greet, I, man, I think I'm going through puberty, uh, my voice. Um, greet Rufus, uh, chosen in the Lord and his mother and mine. Rufus is cool. How many of you like that name, Rufus? So I didn't have a boy, so I couldn't name him Rufus. But here's what's special about Rufus. I'm going to pull up a a passage from Mark. And the passage is from Mark chapter 15, verse 21. Now, here's Mark 15, 21, Miji. Now, Mark was probably written from Rome, the gospel of Mark. So keep, keep that in mind as we read this. So Mark 15, 21, look at this. Then they compelled a certain man, Simon, a Cyrenian, the father of Alexander and Rufus, as he was coming out of the country and passing by to bear his cross. So it's very possible that this Rufus that Paul is referring to, that he says his mother and mine, uh, is the same one whose father carried the cross of Christ. Um, and so uh, just that we, you just see this legacy happening. Now I can't say for sure because we don't know. And, and, uh, and isn't that the way the New Testament goes? The New Testament is not about bragging in individuals. It's about, about pro, uh, proclaiming Christ. And, and so we'll leave it at that. But it's just interesting to see that this very well could have been that same Rufus, uh, who's the son of Simon the Cyrene, Cyrenian. So, um, all right, verse 14 says, Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermas, Petrobas, Hermes and the brethren who are with them greet Philogus and Julia. That's an easy one. Nerus and his sister and Olympus and all the saints who are with them. Now, I'm going to stop there. What do you notice about some of these names here that are mentioned? Are they, are they a little bit familiar, some of them? They're Greek, yeah. But, but, but why do we know those Greek names? Greek gods, that's right, Hermes, um, and uh, Mount Olympus, and we, we know these things, but here's what I want to point out to you. Again, we see people from all walks of life, all people groups, coming to Christ, and now they're a part of the church, and this is who they are. Verse 16 says, greet one another with a holy kiss. 
the churches of Christ greet you. Well, we need to change our greeting here. So, <laughs> thankfully we don't have, I was in Brazil and um, years and years ago, I was helping out with the ministry down there. And uh, I was in a little town called Compost, and it's about, it's about six hours north of Rio de Janeiro. And uh, I went to a church, and, and Brazilian churches, man, there's something else. Um, and, man, it was lively. The worship, it was, like, insane. It was so hot. Everybody was so sweaty uh, as they're dancing. And, and uh, Brazilians are just a unique people group in the world. And, uh, and as they're dancing and stuff, then they go for their greeting time. And uh, to my surprise, I started being kissed by men. It was just how they did it. And, uh, it but it was a full-on kiss. It was like, Mwah. It was like, Whoa. <laughs> Not to mention having their sweat all over me and somebody else's sweat. And, and so at first I was shocked, but then I just said, well, when in Brazil. No. Uh, but uh, I appreciate America. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, isn't that incredible too about the church? Uh, obviously the early church, this was a, a method of greeting others. <clears throat> this holy kiss, this expression of love for one another in Christ. And, um, but, uh, but this is how the gospel also goes into cultures. Um, it's not a law. It, it, it meets people where they're at in their cultures. And we have ownership. And so in America, uh, you, you know, obviously we're not doing that. But maybe some churches in America. But uh, verse 17, now I urge you, brethren... Note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned and avoid them. Okay, I'm going to stop there for a moment. The word urge is call alongside. I'm coming alongside you. And he wants, uh, Paul wants them to note specifically those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned and avoid them. Now, what are we talking about? Well, doctrine which you learn, this is speaking of, of the instruction of the Lord. The word doctrine is instruction of the word. And, and specifically, doctrine is that you would be instructed and then do, excuse me, in faith. Um, and so, so there are people in the church that Paul wants them to note that they cause divisions and offenses. Now, uh, it is interesting, and I really would appreciate, if you are one who causes divisions and offenses... Could you just stand up so we could see you? Is that, would that no? Okay. Uh, and that's one of the problems, right? We, they don't stand up. And nobody puts on, hello, my name is Division. Right? That um, doesn't happen. But they are in the church. And oftentimes they themselves don't even realize they're troublemakers in the church. So how do you spot that you're a troublemaker, a, a, divi- a divisive person or an offensive person? Well, I think there's a couple ways you can spot this. Look at verse 18. It says, for those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by smooth words and flattering speech deceive the hearts of the simple. And so, so they, they're serving, you could translate that their own appetites. So those who cause divisions, one of the ways you can spot them is they're going to look to, to major in the minors. So they're going to start uh, majoring in things that really should be minor and you have freedom in Christ to, to partake in. Um, so they're going to tell you, 
don't eat, don't taste, don't touch, don't smell. They're going to say, uh, well, you know, if you're really spiritual, you're going to give up ham on Easter. Don't, don't do ham. You know, Jesus was a Jew. Let's get rid of ham. They're going to start, start bringing in things like that that are legalistic and, and divisive. They're going to they're gonna argue about the doctrine of soteriology. It's a fancy word for saying how are we saved. And, and uh, maybe some of you have met those who are of the hyper-Calvinist party that just argue and argue incessantly. Um, and and uh, they just cause division. And they break up fellowships and churches. They split them up. Or, or offenses, uh, this very well could be speaking literally about, about dietary regulations. Remember in Romans 14, Keith taught that chapter uh, a couple, few weeks ago. Uh, Paul talked about how do you deal with the, these Gentiles and these Jews together. And there, was some, and, and there was an issue about food sacrifice to idols and whether or not you could eat it with a clean conscience. And Paul gave instruction in that. Well, very possible that they could be there saying, well, you know, I'm free in Christ, so I should do what I want. I can, I can be as offensive as I want because I'm free in Christ. Or, or the exact opposite extreme, uh, oh, well, no one should ever do this because if you're really spiritual, you're going to do this. So I, I think that's one of the ways you can really pick out people that are divisive and offensive is they, they, they major in the minors. Another way is look at the past history. Where have they come from and how much trouble have they caused? Uh, what I mean by that is a lot of times they've left this church, that church, that church. They had a problem with this group, that group, that group. And when you start to ex- understand who they are and where they've come from, you realize there's one single common denominator. I've been doing fractions with Lucy in math again. Love it. <laughs> Looking for the common denominator. Well, these people are the common denominator. They're the problem. Everywhere they go, they have problems with others. But, of course, they don't even see it themselves a lot of the times. They see everybody else as the problem. Or, well, that pastor, he couldn't get it together. Or that, that you know, listen, we're, uh, in Romans 15, we're told to bear with one another in love. Bear with the weaker brother. Uh, we're we're to, to love each other. We, we recognize we're not all going to be in agreement all the time about everything. But we love one another in Christ. And so, um, so if you're one of those people that you've just been moving from church to church to church, listen, I'm probably speaking to you. Barring some heresy that was, was being promoted, if you left a church because you were so offended or the, the, the whole church couldn't get it together or the pastor couldn't get it together, here's what I want to encourage you to do. Let's start new. Go back, ask for forgiveness. Ask for forgiveness for the trouble you've caused. Then come back here. And we'll start new. I've had people who have come to our fellowship, and as I've learned about their history, I go, okay, here's the deal. You've been kicked out of five churches. You're a terrible churchgoer, okay? Let's just be honest. You don't do it well. So here's our goal. Our goal is for you not to get kicked out of this fellowship. We're going to try to do our best to, to keep you in the, in the lane and, and not cutting over everybody else. And there's people that I've talked to, and part of it is they don't even realize, and they have some, you know, maybe there's some mental issues there. I don't even know what it is. Maybe just a bad personality, whatever. But I know that God's called us to love. So <laughs> you guys are like, wow, you're being really transparent tonight, Dave. 
But I've sat down with them and said, hey, remember how we talked about keeping you in the fellowship? Don't do this. <laughs> and, uh, and, and that's kind of the goal is that we love each other. I mean, listen, when Moses was walking, was with the, the people of Israel for 40 years in the wilderness, over and over we heard how the people of Israel were stiff-necked people. They were hard to get along with. But never did God say, Moses, it's cool if you lose whoever you want on the way. The troublemakers, the, the hard ones, go ahead and lose them. And in fact, actually what we saw was the opposite. We saw Moses put, uh, uh, interceding on behalf of his people on a regular basis for God. That's the heart of the believer. We want all of us to finish. We want to all get there together and encourage one another in love. And so, so Paul says, make note of these who cause divisions and offenses Contrary to the doctrine which you learn, avoid them. Don't engage with them. Even if they bait you really well, avoid it. <clears throat> and, and, you know, uh, for those who are, uh, are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ but their own belly and by smooth words and flattering speech deceive the hearts of the simple. Listen, if you are getting unsettled by someone's poor doctrine, meaning that they're, they're t- talking to you something about the Bible and it's unsettling. You'll, you know what I'm talking about, right? You've been, most of you have been in church long enough where someone starts talking to you about something and it's like, that doesn't sound right. Uh, and, uh, and, and you know that it doesn't quite go with the word, but, but you're like, well, I want to be holy. Listen, just, just back away from them. Go talk to some others that are, that are born again, that are mature believers and get their perspective on it because oftentimes these are divisive people and offensive. Verse 19, for your obedience, oh man, I'm running out of time, i got to hurry. For your obedience has become known to all, therefore I am glad on your behalf, but I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. I love that. And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Now I just want to say this, as Paul uh, exhorts us to be wise in what is good, simple concerning evil. Let's not have a great knowledge of evil. We don't need to pursue and have this great understanding of evil. It is evil. Let's be wise in what is good. And, and let's commit ourselves to those things, uh, knowing Christ. And I love the fact that Paul says, in God and the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. And I see that on a regular basis in the church. When you have those who are divisive or offensive or sometimes it's just snares set by the enemy. And it's just our own sin nature that stumbles into them. We see that if we pursue it in prayer and love, that Satan just gets crushed uh, under that. And we move forward uh, in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, he says, amen. Now, verse 21, we go into Timothy, my fellow worker, and Lucius, Jason... And Sospiter, my countrymen, greet you. Jason could be the same Jason who sheltered Paul during the rite in Thessalonica. Obviously, Timothy is uh, the same one who the letters of Timothy is written to and who pastored Ephesus. I, Tertius, who wrote this epistle, greet you in the Lord. Hit the brakes. What happened? Tertius is um, Paul's amanuensis, and it's basically someone who recorded the words of Paul and wrote them down. Remember, paper wasn't cheap and uh, writing utensils. So these people are often trained in, in recording things and could do it in such a way that was legible. And so we see that Tertius is the one who actually, as Paul dictated, he's the one who wrote. 
Gaius, my host and the host of the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the treasurer of the city, greets you. Again, there, there's a treasurer of the city. And Cordus, a brother, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Now, it, that, that's our third ending here. Or, or, sorry, our second ending. Now we're going to go into the third ending. Verse 25. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to faith, to God alone, wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. Now, that passage is chocked full of good titles and understanding. I, what I want to encourage you to do, because we don't have time tonight to go through each and everything, uh, meditate that on that a little bit. But I do want to point out to you something. Look at verse 27. To God alone wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. In, in the Greek text, the phrase, to God alone wise, is followed immediately by the words, through Jesus Christ. And so the, the idea there is it indicates that the wisdom of God is accessed or displayed through Jesus Christ. And of course in Colossians 2, we read about the preeminence of Christ and how he is above all things. But the idea here is if you want to understand that wonderful wisdom of God, you access it through Jesus Christ. And so Paul says, be glory, uh, to whom be glory forever, amen. So that would be the, the, a more literal translation of this. To God alone wise, through Jesus Christ, be glory forever, amen. And that is where we will end Romans. Let's go ahead and go to pray. prayer.